It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the mind of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, June 18th. That's right, the World Cup is ongoing. The LA Galaxy crash out of the U.S. Open Cup. And, of course, we're in the midst of a long break until the Galaxy return on June 30th of this month. So a, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about still. The LA Galaxy making some off-season moves, that's for sure. And so we want to talk about all that fun stuff. And in order to do that, we go all the way across the world. The other side speaking to us from the future. Mr. Kevin Baxter is in Russia. Kevin, uh, thanks for stopping by, buddy. I know uh, I know it's not early for you. It's it's still, it is. It's early for me. Dobrejin, comrade Joshua. Awesome. Actually, that, that would be good afternoon. You're not the afternoon yet, so you're dobre utra. Oh, look at you getting all uh, all Russian on us already. Yeah, no, I, I even have Russian sa- uh, dressing on my salad now. Oh, that that's good. That's good. Very well. Well, uh, I, I would ask you what the future uh, brings from us from the World Cup as we're recording at a uh, 6 a.m. on Monday morning, uh, at least local time here. What time again is it? At the, is it there in Russia? It is. Uh, what time is it? It's. Uh, let me look at my. It's four o'clock. I should have known that. It's four o'clock. Four o'clock. All right. So four p.m. Speaking to us, of course, from uh, from the future, as we like to say. Um, how has you, how has your World Cup experience been so far, there, Mr. Baxter? Well, uh, it it the sun goes down really late here, around nine thirty, and it get, comes up early, like around three. And because of the time change and all the work I've had to do, like today, I had five stories in the paper. Because of that, there is more, on more than one occasion, I think three times, I have seen the sun go down and come up uh, before I go to bed. So that's kind of weird. Um, usually, you, you know, see one or the other, but I've seen the sun go down and come up at the same time. The, the metro system here, the the subway, is amazing. It's super efficient. The trains come basically every two minutes. So if you're going down the, the escalator and you hear the train and, and you run, there's no need to run. It's, there's going to be another one in two minutes. And by the way, uh, the subway system, I had a tweet on this. I was very interested in that the subway system is so deep. Uh, some of the tunnels are, are over um, nearly 300 feet deep. Um, one of the other journal, American journalists here actually timed the escalator ride from the top to the bottom. And if you don't, if you don't walk down the stairs, if you just stand on the on the stair and wait for it to go down, it takes you over three minutes wow. uh, to get from the top to the bottom. The reason it's so deep, the, the subway was built in the 30s, and a lot of people think that it was built as a bomb shelter because uh, you know World War II was was coming and and everybody knew it was coming, and so maybe the Russians thinking ahead built it as a bomb shelter. It's not true. What happened was. When they started to dig the subway system, they found that the ground was very swampy and they had to go down and find firm ground. To do that, they had to go under the Moscow River. The Moscow River is kind of, if you look on a map, it's kind of like a snake. It, it just winds all through the city. So anywhere they were going to build a subway, they had to go under the river. And so that's why it's so deep. So there you go. There's your, your minute of Russian history. I was going to say, that's uh, that's more than I ever needed or or probably wanted to know about the Russian subway. But it was uh, it was interesting, the uh, the big game, of course, that happened 
Yesterday, Kevin, or at least I think, yeah, it was still yesterday for you as well. Uh, Mexico and Germany are, uh, are are good friends over there. Giovanni Dos Santos and Jonathan Dos Santos on the Mexican national team. Uh, Mexico, of course, beats Germany one to nothing. I don't think there's anybody around the soccer world who doesn't know anything about that. But uh, of course, we had planned to fill this segment, Kevin, with how the Giovanni Dos Santos and Jonathan Dos Santos, how did the Dos Santos brothers play in their World Cup uh, debut in 2018 there for, uh, for Mexico? And so I will turn that over to you to give your detailed and thorough report. Yeah, I think given the, the Dos Santos brothers' form with the Galaxy this year, I think Carlos uh, or Juan Carlos Osorio, the Mexican coach, I think his his uh, probably best strategic move was to keep both those guys on the bench against Germany. Um, the Mexico did play a lineup that actually that Gio probably would have fit into very nicely. It was a very fast lineup, uh, played pretty wide, and uh, uh, Irving Lozano was the key to that. He's probably the fastest guy, maybe one of the fastest guys in the World Cup. But uh, he was dangerous all night long. Um, and but I, I do think you'll see the Dos Santos brothers probably in the next game against South Korea. Um, the reason I think that is because Juan Carlos Osorio loves to rotate his squads and use different lineups against different opponents. Rarely do you see this, the same entire lineup. I don't think you ever see the same entire lineup with Mexico playing consecutive games. So I would expect one of the Los Santos brothers to come on. Where they would play, though, I don't know. I mean, Tuki Lozano looked really, really good, and Carlos Vela had a great game in the center. Um, uh, Chicharito Hernandez, not so much, but I don't I don't see him going to the bench. So it you know it may be tough to fit those guys in there. I, I know, again, Osorio likes to rotate the squad, but, man, these, these guys are so hot right now. You don't want to – you don't want to mess with that too much – because, uh, you know, once you sit for it, the games here are every four or five days. Once you sit for three or four days and don't play, it's kind of hard to keep that form, I think. So uh, I, guess you, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think you'll see those guys in the next game. Um, Mexico with the win over Germany. Driver's seat for this group, but nothing's done yet. I mean, they have Sweden coming up. They'll probably beat South Korea. Um, it, you know what would be really interesting? Brazil kind of stumbled a little bit in, their, in its first game and and – I have to say this is kind of a Dom Dwyer moment for me, but I definitely uh, was in the German camp. I thought that Germany would probably win the tournament. That, that, they were my favorite. They did not look good. They looked very old against Mexico. And so we'll see what happens going forward. But going into the tournament, the, the sort of uh, form chart was Germany wins the group. They go on as the first place team from that group. Mexico finishes second. They go on to play the first uh, place group team from another group, which we thought would be Brazil, that right. Mexico would play Brazil. And by winning the group, uh, they may not avoid that. If Brazil can't re rebound from its early stumble, they may wind up the second place team in that group. Mexico may still get Brazil in the round of 16, which is what they're trying to avoid. Uh, early days there, Kevin, but certainly if uh, Mexico doesn't win the group now after beating uh, Germany, I think it would be a little bit of a disappointment. They uh, they really no, did. No, it'd, it'd be a huge, uh, stunning, uh, I think, defeat for Mexico. They, they're like I said, they're in the driver's seat. You know, if they get, they should win. They should beat South Korea. That would give them six points. The only way Germany could catch them or pass them would be on goal differential. Um, so Mexico not only is going to have to win those two, you know, win at least one of those two games, but they're going to have to rack up some goals too. Yeah, yeah. It'll be uh, again. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out with the uh, World Cup ongoing and still getting through the first round of uh, group stage games. So uh, you know, that's our little uh, our little World Cup update. I was really hoping that we'd be able to talk about uh, uh, the Dos Santos brothers, but uh, I think Juan Carlos Osorio got it absolutely right. I don't know that there's been a more exciting, and I know. 
that uh, Portugal and Spain finished 3-3, and, and I certainly watched that game, and that was the most exciting game of the, of the games that have been played so far. But um, I don't know if there was a more exciting 45 minutes than what Mexico did to Germany in that first 45 minutes because uh, it was exciting, it was dangerous, and by all accounts, I think Mexico probably should have been up by uh, maybe two, th two or three goals at halftime and not just the one goal that they ended up winning by. But still, uh, a really, really comprehensive, fun uh, gutted out victory by Mexico. They played it absolutely perfect. It was fun to watch uh, Juan Carlos Osorio uh, sort of uh, maybe out, out coach Germany there a little bit uh, because it, it certainly well, felt that way. Well, there's a number of things. I mean, you talk about Mexico could have been up two or three to nothing. Germany didn't do anything to stop them. The reason they didn't get those two other goals were mistakes that Mexico made. Passes that went behind players at one point. The ball came off Chicharito's foot when he was uh, moving forward and the German defense was able to catch up. So it wasn't anything really that Germany did. And you talk about the difference in the coaches. Juan Carlos Osorio, is, as we mentioned, he loves the squad rotation. He loves to experiment. You know, he brought masseuse here. He brought a sleep coach here. He's kind of done a lot of uncon uh, you know, um, uh, unconventional things for a soccer coach. Um, and he always walks around with a notepad, has a notepad with him at all times. And when, when something strikes him, he'll be walking down the street, he'll stop and pause and write something in his little journal, ideas that, that come to him at all times of the day. Uh, Yogi Lowe, the coach of Germany, they've been using, uh, all the players have laptops They're you know, every, all their vital signs are measured. Everything is, it's, it's a very technologically advanced, uh, team as opposed to Osorio with his paper and pen. So, um, when you look at the two, you know, one is sort of the future. The other is is maybe a little bit in the past. And the past beat the future in this game. And it was it was an upset. Germany has never lost. They, they're a four-time champion. And their three previous defenses in their first game of the World Cup, they had never lost. Mexico had never beaten a reigning champion. Germany hadn't lost the first game uh, in group play since 1982. I mean, you, there's numbers that just go on and on and on. Right. Um, the result shouldn't have been this way. But you like the first half. I actually like the second half. Um, Germany was just peppering a Mexican goal, and, and Mexico held back. And, and I know it's maybe a little bit boring, but just t the tenacity of Mexico to hold back and to hold Germany off. They got they wound up with 25 shots, Germany did. No team has taken as many as 25 shots and failed to score in a World Cup game since 2006. And Guillermo Ochoa had nine saves. He was incredible. Uh, as good as uh, Irving Lozano was scoring that goal and, and being dangerous all night, uh, Guillermo Ochoa may have been the player of the game. Well, it was uh, it was fun. I was in Denver over the weekend. I got to watch the uh, the whole game, so I enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, World Cup continues, and we're glad that, of course, uh, Corner of the Galaxy. And we'll say this quietly so the LA Times doesn't hear us. Corner of the Galaxy has our correspondent there, Mr. Kevin Baxter, in Russia, uh, keeping us updated on all the uh, all the World Cup news. Are you headed to, out of uh, out of Moscow, or where are you right now? I didn't even I didn't even ask before we started. Yeah, I, I'm in Moscow um, with about uh, maybe 60, maybe more. Six, there are 60,000 people in Mexico that bought tickets to the World Cup. So we we presume that most of those 60,000 came came to Russia and are probably here, knowing that Germ uh, that uh, Mexico would open here. Uh, another 90,000 people bought tickets in the U.S. And you can presume that a lot of those people were Mexico fans from the U.S. So in in, in any case, that 78,000 seat stadium they played in last night was probably 80% uh, Mexican. Um, it sounded like many of the games that you see at the Rose Bowl, like when they play the U.S., right. and, and there are some U.S. fans there, but it's primarily Mexico. Um, afterwards, uh, the fans were, throughout the whole game, just cheering and screaming. And it, like I said, it felt like a Rose Bowl game or maybe a game in Azteca. But afterwards, after I filed my story and headed to the subway, maybe three or four hours after the game, 
the courtyard in front of the stadium was just packed with with Mexican fans. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obvious a lot of them had been celebrating since the game ended because they had a lot of trouble speaking. But um, in the subway, the, the Mexican fans took over one subway car, uh, you know, chanting and singing and dancing. It was incredible. In 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 Russia, where nobody ever smiles, it's an extremely sad place, actually, uh, from that perspective. Uh, just to see this unbridled joy in the street, you'd see a lot of the people, a lot of the Russian people, uh, looking at the Mexicans as if they had lost their minds. But uh, and and perhaps they had. I mean, the the joy over the victory, and then just the sheer number of Mexicans. This is my third World Cup, and I've seen fans from uh, you know different countries cheering and 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 celebrating victories, but never this many. I mean, everywhere you went in Moscow. Uh, there were Mexican fans celebrating. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, it seems like. But a, to answer, yeah, to answer your question, I'm in Moscow. I was supposed to go to Samara um, a- after the group play, which is where Mexico would have beaten Brazil uh, or played Brazil if things had gone to form. Now Mexico, if they win the group, they go to St. Petersburg. So I have seen some uh, prepaid hotel and airfare that I might have to 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 uh, to get rid of anyone who wants to go to Samara, Russia, and see a game and needs a hotel, uh, talk to me. Maybe I can hook you up. Well, I would say that we have gotten a, a couple pictures. One, uh, per, uh, especially from I, I believe it's Robert. Uh, Robert took his corner of the galaxy scarf all the way to Moscow, Russia. Took a picture of it right there, uh, right next to Red Square. Um, so he hit, we have some COG listeners there in, uh, in Moscow and in Russia, uh, there for the world cup. So if you, if any of you are there, if you have any pictures, if you want to send them in, please hit them up, hit us up on Twitter. You can email us any of those places, but we'd love to see it. And Robert, thanks for the support all the way in Russia. We, uh, we appreciate that. Now, Kevin, uh, let's get to a game. I know that you stayed up to watch, uh, that you somehow woke up in the early morning of the hours in order to make sure that you caught uh, the LA Galaxy facing off against the Portland Timbers in the blockbuster of all tournaments, the U.S. Open Cup. Now, I would love to know exactly how good your stream was from Russia and all that fun stuff because I know you and it was on Sports Center or whatever there uh, the Russian equivalent is. I know, I know yeah, all those things. Yeah, I, I, I put on Sputnik TV and I missed the original broadcast of the game. Yes. Um, you know, they had they did the whole live studio thing there from Portland and yes. Russian TV was there. I, so I missed the the actual live broadcast, but I did see one of the three or four replays that they had on. Um, uh, yes. Uh, so I did get to watch the game on TV here. All right. Very good. Well, the uh, LA Galaxy falling one to nothing to the Portland Timbers, uh, a game uh, in the U.S. Open Cup that would have seen the LA Galaxy go on to the quarterfinals. That is no more. And the LA Galaxy's 2018 uh, U.S. Open Cup uh, traveling is is complete and done there, Kevin. So they beat an amateur team and then got knocked out in Portland. Uh, something that I said was going to be a difficult game to play just because going on the road is always difficult in U.S. Open Cup. Anytime you need just a single off, single elimination game. And as a matter of fact, if MLS ever wanted to really give home teams the advantage in the MLS playoffs, Kevin, they would go ahead and play all single elimination games uh, where the Galaxy, or excuse me, where the home team would host. Um, and that would pretty much guarantee that there were, that most of the games uh, that the home team would win. There's there's that much of an advantage in a one-game sort of playoff uh, 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 atmosphere. And in this case, the LA Galaxy went up. And I'm going to say this right now. Outside of the first 30 minutes, Kevin, the LA Galaxy played just fine in this game. They competed. They survived some injuries, it looks like, as well. So there was a whole bunch of stuff that I think they did really well, but I think Siggy Schmidt was a little slow to react in the first 30 minutes. I think the Galaxy were a little slow to react in the first 30 minutes, and Portland got the only goal of the game uh, during that time. Well, I, I mean, how... 
you talk about how well the team played, and and it was it, you said it was similar to the MLS game too. I, I know we talked about this earlier. It was similar to the MLS game that they played there just about a week uh, earlier. Um, how committed do you think the players were to the game? And and I I don't mean that to, to take a shot at anybody, but they were supposed to be on vacation. It's kind of a game that um, it, you know wasn't on the schedule. They know the Open Cup is coming, and you know they're missing lots of players. Slatan wasn't there. He was here in Russia. The, the Santos brothers were away with the national team. Um, what was the, your sense of the uh, uh, of the commitment of the players that went up and made that trip? Yeah, it was certainly something that we raised the alarm about earlier in the week. Whenever uh, we had uh, just taken you know sort of the temperature of some of the players and listened to what Zlatan said after uh, the Galaxy's last home game and saying, "Hey, I know the guys wanted to be on vacation, but you know this is what happens when you win in tournaments and that type of thing." Um, I would say that overall, I was I was concerned about that, and I don't think that that really had any effect on it. Uh, the Galaxy went with an A-team lineup, as far as I'm concerned. Now, they were missing a whole bunch of people. You talked about Zlatan Ibrahimovic in Russia. He was never going to play in this game, or if he was, was going to play a limited, limited minutes on the turf, uh, even if he was around. Um, and then you also had somebody, uh, you also had the Dos Santos brothers who were in Russia. Then you were without Sebastian Legette, who didn't travel uh, because of an injury that he picked up um, in the game previous, whenever he slid and, and hurt his right ankle. Um, and then you also had Roman Alessandrini, who did not travel up with the LA Galaxy because of a, uh, a quad injury they're still milking. Those were both all expected, though, Kevin. Um, those but what we did see, I mean, when, when that many pit players are out, and so you're, you got five starters essentially that are gone, um, what that does, I mean, that's a good thing because it creates opportunities for others. And Bradford Jamison had a really good game and got a chance to play. I mean, Ola Kamara kind of came up. Uh, limping a little bit now. He has two weeks off, so that's that. You know, a good timing if you have to get an injury when you have a two-week break. That's that's always good. But Bradford Jamison, I mean, he got some serious playing minutes. The Open Cup was probably great for him. I'm sure he's sorry to see it end. Yeah, I think he was. I, I would say that he was limited in the first half, and I think that had to do a lot with Siggy Schmidt and how he set this team up uh, to begin with. And you have to understand how Portland set up their team as well. We've been hearing obviously about the the Christmas tree formation, the four-three-two-one. That, uh, that Portland liked to play, and they were going back and forth between Armenteros and Adi. Um, and between those two players, you were like, who's going to start in the Open Cup? And so um, the the really interesting thing that Giovanni Savarese did it was he started both of them and played a little bit more of a 4-4-2 with a diamond midfield. Um, if you watched and listened to the broadcast, they went on endlessly about that. And, of course, you had to listen to the Portland Timbers broadcast, which I just like to point out, and I said this on Twitter, that I'm forever grateful that the the person that I have to listen to the most out of anybody, Kevin, is is Joe Titino whenever he covers the LA Galaxy and how even and balanced he tends to be um, compared to everybody else that I have to listen to on a regular basis. Uh, there's some great partners and, and 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 broadcasters out there and there's some good teams that really do a good job and there are some other teams that that don't do that but anyway I was very happy that I got to listen to uh, Joe Titino uh, just not in this case um, and and having listened to uh, the Portland Timbers and their broadcast of this game which was fine overall but uh, having gone on that little sideways uh, uh, a jog there I'll say that um, you know the the fact Portland didn't come out in sort of the expected formation I think through the galaxy a little bit and the galaxy really were playing a Again, sort of a 3-5-2 
Um, and despite the fact that's what it, sh- it doesn't show that in the lineup, that's what the Galaxy were playing. They had three in the back. Ashley Cole was swung into the midfield. Uh, you had Shelvick, Siani, and Romney back there. You had Cole, Kitchen, Carrasco sort of... Uh, Filling in that defensive side of the midfield with Kitchen getting forward and trying to support along with uh, uh, Jameson and Pontius. Um, and then you had Boateng and Kamara up top. So again, the Galaxy really trying to stick with a style of play here, Kevin, which I don't disagree with. Um, I think that them talking about playing two forwards up in front is, is something that they feel is the, their best way forward, and I agree it is. When you have Ola Kamara, when you have Zlatan Ibrahimovic, having both of those guys up there uh, playing on the front line and that forward line is something that you want to see from the Galaxy, and so far I think it's where they've looked the most comfortable. Uh, even if that means that Ashley Cole sort of has to play a wing-back position or if Chris Pontius has to play a wing-back position, however that ends up happening, um, that's that, that seems to be something that fits the Galaxy. Here's the problem, though. Um, I think they were expecting that Christmas tree, Kevin, and they didn't get a Christmas tree. Uh, in fact, they got coal in their stockings instead because I really felt that the Portland Timbers came in um, and dominated the Galaxy in the first 30 minutes. There was no adjustment made by Siggy Schmidt. The midfield was getting run through. Um, the outside, and especially in the center of midfield, um, there was just large gaping holes that Portland was able to take advantage of, and the big deal was that with the two forwards up on that front line, they were taking the three fullbacks that the Galaxy had, the three the three defenders on that back line, and they were stretching them and finding holes in between it, and that's really where you saw the goal come from, was uh, a guy like Sebastian Blanc, who was able to float and pop up in different places, Kevin, and not necessarily have an overall position. The Galaxy couldn't track him. Um, and they lost him multiple times in that first 30 or 45 minutes. Um, and, and that's where really the goal ended up coming from. Um, you know, a great pass into Adi, who was making this diagonal run, a little heel flick that dropped it off uh, to the backside. And it was the runs from Armenteros. It was the runs from Adi that pulled open a large gaping gap in that uh, in that LA Galaxy defense and it was able it was a pretty simple finish everything you know was was pretty much by the book and it was a goal that was coming Kevin it certainly wasn't against the run of play the Galaxy really didn't generate any uh, too much offense in that first half um, and in fact in the in the entire game they probably didn't generate too much offense but that first 35 40 minutes uh, really sort of set the Galaxy back in my opinion. Well, you know, I mean, don't beat them up too much. They, they went to, to Portland, an extremely tough place to play. Look at Portland's home record. I mean, it's the best in, in MLS over the last several years by far. So don't beat them up too much. They went to Portland, uh, what, two times in three weeks. Um, they, they got a draw, they, uh, a loss in the U.S. Open Cup. Basically, it was 2-1. to one. It, it was a two-leg playoff, and they lost 2-1. to one. Uh, That's pretty good when both both legs of that playoff were in Portland, which, again, is a very difficult place to play, and, and the Galaxy had to make that trip. Uh, twice. So, you know, again, don't beat them up too much. The other thing I want to go back to what you said about Joe, I, I love listening to Joe, frankly, and you can get a lot of the MLS broadcast on satellite radio now and, and other sports as well. And I grew up in Southern California and lived here most of my life uh, and, you know, had Vince Scully and Chick Hearn and Dick Enberg. And, and those guys were all great announcers. And the thing that you really uh, learned to appreciate about them when you traveled was the fact that they weren't homers and Joe's like that. Um, you know, they never say we, they never say we need to get a hit here. We need to do something here. Uh, they're objective uh, reporters, but they're pretty close. I mean, they're objective. They call the game uh, the way the game's played and they don't cheer for either side. And as a listener, I, that's great. And I heard Vince Gully once years ago, talk about that. And he said, LA is a place where people come from all over the 
the country. So you may be uh, calling a game involving a, a you know an LA team and a New York team, and maybe half the listeners are cheering for New York. So really, there isn't a home team. And uh, you know, I, I like the way Joe calls games. So when you do listen to the other announcers around the league on on satellite radio, you really you know, get to appreciate just how good he is. Yeah, and and you know, there's some great national uh, national voices as well. But uh, as far as local broadcasts, and it hasn't always been this way, but I think it should have always been this way. Uh, Joe Tutino has been linked with the club for so many years um, that he is he's sort of I don't know, you know, maybe I'm a little biased. I love Joe; he's a great guy. Um, but I, I always enjoy his calls, and and it's it's a it's a comfort factor. It's something you don't have to pay attention to in terms of you don't have to sit there and say, oh, well, that doesn't seem like that was a very balanced way to say things, you know, in this particular, it just, it's something that doesn't distract from you whenever you're, you're watching the game. So, uh, yeah, Joe does a great job. Um, you know, the, I, you're right. I shouldn't beat up on the galaxy because I think overall they actually played pretty well. And, and by the way, I think Siggy Schmidt, uh, you know, it kind of agrees with me. Uh, his his general thoughts on the match after the game, he says, I didn't think we started the game well. I thought Portland was the better team at the beginning. Probably deservedly took a lead. I thought the second half we were much better. I thought even in the last 15 minutes of the first half we were better. But for some reason we came out a little bit tentative. Maybe it was Portland playing in a slightly different formation and it took us a little bit of time to adjust. Um, by the way, I just read those uh, those quotes this morning. I was out of town so I didn't really read them. So, so just in case you want to think that I took my entire uh, you know, overall synopsis of the game from Siggy Schmidt. I did not. Um, but, you know, we seem to be on the same picture. I'll tell you this. It wasn't that the Galaxy came out tentative. It's that the Galaxy weren't prepared for the formation that came out against them. Um, and maybe the tentativeness is really just um, the fact that Portland was able to take advantage of some situations. Now, that changed, Kevin, whenever Siggy Schmidt did something that I said he should have done in the first half, which was to bring Ima Boateng back into the midfield um, to get your five midfielders set to uh, drop Ashley Cole back onto the back line and be more defensive. So then you had four defenders back there. You had the five midfielders with Boateng on the wing. And, and my big argument against starting Boateng up and up top, Kevin, is that yes, he has speed. Yes, he is quick, but most of that quickness and all that speed is so much better whenever you put him on an edge and let him exploit the edge than it is trying to watch him run down the middle of the field or start anything in the middle of the field. I think Ima Boateng has shown that he has a skill set that is unique to him, and yes, it's mostly based around speed, but that he has developed a little bit, at least in this season so far, to prove that maybe he deserves more starting minutes. Um, but him at left on the left wing is so much more dangerous than him just sort of floating up top, trying to combine with Ola Kamara, and you saw the LA Galaxy, one, get positioned more defensively within that formation with the 4-5-1, um, but also uh, use everybody to their strengths in that with Ima Boateng outside, with Chris Pontius not having to play wing back and playing a little bit more on the right-hand side. Um, you know, the only thing the Galaxy were missing in this game, Kevin, was that tying goal. Uh, the only difference between them, you know, playing in the Open Cup and them, the you know, the week before or 10 days before whenever they faced Portland and got the 1-1 draw, the only difference was finding that one goal. And that one goal could have made a bunch of difference. Um, it just wasn't there this time. And so whenever you saw them drop into a, that formation, they were able to keep Portland at bay. Things slowed down for everybody. They were able to sort of take the sting out of the Timbers. So while the Timbers are the deserved winners in this game, Kevin, there's I think there's no doubt about it for me. Uh, I th thought they played better. That really, them playing better comes in that first 30 minutes uh, and nowhere else because the Galaxy dominated in possession. The Galaxy had more passes. The Galaxy were only uh, outshot, I 
think, by one shot on goal. So very even in terms of how things went. It was just the one goal difference. I don't think anybody, and, and certainly there were people who were complaining before this game even started, Kevin, the Galaxy weren't going to take this game seriously. I don't think they can say that right now because they started the absolute A-team they had available. Um, there was no change in my mind that I would have made of anybody who started. In fact, I predicted that lineup 100% if you were looking at the players that were available that I assumed would be available and will be playing. So the Galaxy took it seriously and they fell short. Maybe a little unlucky in the draw sometimes whenever you see that, uh, of course, LAFC is going to be playing a USL team. Um, you know, so, so yeah, there's, there's parts of that. But also unlucky because even if the Galaxy did win this game, Kevin, they would be on the road again after this. And, and I, don't know how, I don't know how many times I have to say it, um, but I'll just keep saying it because I like to hear myself talk anyway, Kevin, is that uh, you know in U.S. Open Cup, yes, it's the easiest way to the CCL, but it's also the luckiest way to the CCL because usually the teams that advance far in the U.S. Open Cup are teams that get home draws in, in terms of whenever they draw, who's going to be home and away. It's the home teams that usually do it. Usually a team can go win on the road once, maybe twice in a U.S. Open Cup um, you know, sort of tournament. But other than that, if you have you know, two, two road games in a row, the chances are you're going to lose one of those. Um, and so the Galaxy ran up against a good Portland Timbers team, probably the best team in that sort of Western Conference draw. You could argue maybe LAFC is that team, but uh, I think Portland with their string and, and their victories at home certainly is is probably a little more dangerous. But, you know, the Galaxy ran into a buzzsaw, and, and they're done. And a part of me, Kevin, just a little part of me, is glad that the U.S. Open Cup is done because this is not a distraction anymore for the L.A. Galaxy. No, a big part of me is glad that it's done. Um, but... I know it's a it's it's a blind draw. I'm not I'm not suggesting at all that there was anything nefarious going on, but I just do think it's interesting that you have a team in LA, um, you know, a new team in LA. It's the shiny object now. Everyone's paying attention to LAFC. They have a beautiful new stadium, um, you know, big name coach. A lot of a lot of excitement around uh, LAFC throughout the league. You have to admit, whether you're uh, you know a, a, a hater or not, there's a lot of excitement nationally and around the league. And so you have this team and and uh, in the U.S. Open Cup, and mysteriously, they get two home dates in their brand new stadium that they want to show off to the world. They get to play two USL teams. They didn't play an MLS team. Um, granted, they played Fresno in the first game. If right. you look at Fresno's roster, that's a really good team. But they get two second division teams. They get to play both games at home. Um, the Galaxy have to go on the road to Portland to get, as you said, the. the the toughest team in the draw. When you look at the bracket, again, I know it's a blind draw, but when you look at the bracket, it did look like the Galaxy was going to wind up playing LAFC. Yep. Um, that's not a good thing for the league, I don't think, because I think you want the El Trafico to, right now, you want that rivalry to build an MLS. And I, I, I think, um, you know, playing them in a, a U.S. Open Cup game, maybe in the final, that's different, or semifinal, or whatever, but in a round of 16 game in the U.S. Open Cup, I just don't think that that's where you want to build that rivalry. So a, a lot of things, that, I'm just going to say, mysteriously, a lot of things seem to break in LAFC's favor when it came to the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, and we'll see what happens with them. They play on Wednesday. That's another thing, too. The, the Galaxy also had the shortest recovery period uh they had to play another game uh, almost immediately after the first one that's good or bad that could be good or bad i mean it, it could be good and now they get a full two-week break which lafc is not going to get that so 
guys have gone away, you know, people are going to get vacation break from training. That's all really good. LAFC is not going to get, get to do that. You know, their next game, if they win, wouldn't be until July, but still they had to stay here to, to train and to play this game. So um, that kind of works against them. As far as Boateng goes, you, you know, I've been a big, and, and people that listen to this podcast know that I've been a big supporter of his for a long time. And he, he you're right. He is becoming a little bit more of a complete player and he is much better when he's, uh, when he has one position again playing on the wing, um, but you're right. His one tool, his best tool, is is the speed. It's something you can't teach. It's something you can't develop. It's something you have or you don't have. And it's it, his speed is game changing speed. And that, another reason I like him coming off the bench is because you bring that guy in in the, in the 60th minute against the defense that's been running uh, for 60 minutes, all of a sudden his speed, he's twice as fast as, as, as he normally would be because he's running against tired defenders. Um, again, like Alan Gordon. I think Alan Gordon is a really good player, but at this stage of his career, and maybe for most of his career, I think he's been, or a lot of his career anyways, I think he's been a last 20-minute uh, kind of guy who comes off the bench, and because of his ability in the air, changes the way defenses have to play, and it opens things up. And when you look at Boateng going up the wing, um, you know, like a jet, what happens is, you know, there is a lot of space left behind him um, where other people can, uh, other midfielders can sort of come in into that space as Boateng's taking the ball or at least taking the defense, maybe without the ball, taking the defense deep up to the to the goal line. A lot of space opens up behind him. And if the Galaxy can take advantage of that, um, you know, there's going to be some open players. But uh, again, I like him, but I like him off the bench. I, I just don't. Uh, you know, it, it sounds funny to say if a guy's a good player, why not use him for 90 minutes? Because he does have that one you know, exceptional tool, the speed, and I think he's twice as fast when he comes on in the 60th minute. Yeah, he it, it certainly helps. Uh, you know, in this game, he was he was a good starter. I, I think it worked out well. But we, you know, the the big issue that sort of comes out of this game, Kevin, is uh, that Ola Kamara goes down with a non-contact injury. Um, right now, we're told I believe it's a right calf strain. Um, I believe that's the side it was on. It was a calf strain on the left or the right. I can't remember exactly which. Um, but showing that it's a calf strain, um, it looked like it could have been much more serious, Kevin, because he went down with nobody around him on the turf. Everything immediately goes to, like, ACL or any of the the giant, huge injuries that you could possibly have. And uh, we still don't know an actual prognosis on it, and those were all initial prognoses on it. So we'll see if the LA Galaxy release anything this next week, which I doubt most people. It's going to be pretty quiet for the Galaxy here for this next week before they get back and, and everybody starts training again uh, uh, for the San Jose game coming up on June 30th. So you had Ola Kamar go down. You had Ima Boateng go down in this game and have to come out as well. So you had uh, him. Maybe it was the, uh, the, 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 the stretch of games the Galaxy have been playing, averaging about one game every three days up until uh, they had six days off. To, to get and prepare for uh, for Port the Portland Timbers. And the reason they played that game so early was that both teams agreed they wanted to play it early so that way they could get it over with. I think the Galaxy wanted to get it early as well because they wanted the two weeks off, the full two weeks off. I know Portland wanted to do it because they have to travel to Atlanta, I think, on the 24th. And so they wanted to get the game in as soon as possible as well. So the, the time seemed to fit uh, fit in nicely for everybody and, and it worked out in terms of uh, them being able to play that game but 
the Galaxy now have four players that look like they could possibly be injured, Kevin. Uh, you have uh, Ola Kamara, you have Ima Boateng, you have Sebastian Leggett, and Ramon Alessandrini. Now, all those guys in Leggett and Alessandrini held off uh, clearly because the Galaxy were able to get another two weeks of, of rest. And so basically, you could give those guys three weeks of rest, or, uh, or for uh, Ramon Alessandrini, I think three and a half weeks of rest uh, to recover from whatever they have. And it's been a lot of miles on those legs. So um, it's something that I think works out well for the Galaxy, and as long as these guys aren't too injured, as long as we aren't surprised by any giant injuries, uh, I think the Galaxy probably weathered the storm of the U.S. Open Cup and the, the string of back-to-back-to-back games that they had before the uh, World Cup break. Uh, I think they weathered it actually pretty well. Their form is in, it was, uh, was looking better towards the end of it, uh, getting some consistency there. So now it's all about uh, June 30th against the San Jose Earthquakes and then July 4th against DC United at home the next time the LA Galaxy will be at home. So um, overall, that was uh, I think it was not a successful U.S. Open Cup run, but one that had uh, very little damage on the Galaxy. And uh, the last string of games seems like the Galaxy weathered them pretty well. So now into that break, and hopefully we'll see everybody healthy by the time the Galaxy come back on uh, on June 30th. Now, you've been on vacation watch, right? You've been uh, checking out where everyone's gone? Yeah, everybody seems like they're going to Cabo. I think there's like an MLS, like, you know, like meeting, an unofficial meeting that everybody, there's a bunch of MLS players uh, that were down in Cabo San Lucas, uh, some Galaxy players, um, some different things. So anyway, it's just, uh, it's interesting. I, I, you know, these guys play soccer so much, Kevin, and it's year round so much. And even in the off season, there's training. It's tough to get away and do these vacations. So it's kind of fun to see everybody escape very quickly in this World Cup break. It's like, yeah, the World Cup's on, but uh, we don't have to play soccer for two weeks and or, or for uh, you know three weeks, and and so we're gonna go get out of here real fast. Well, I mean, Cabo is it. It is a, obviously it's a different country, but it, I mean, it feels like a different country. But it, you know, a lot of English spoken there. So, and it's the same time zone. You can get there in a couple hours. You can get back in a couple hours. I mean, I don't know if Ashley Cole went home or any of the European players went home. Siani, but it, that's a that's a tough flight. By the time you adjust to the time change and come back, uh, you essentially lose two days. And I'm guessing the team's probably getting five days to to a week off. Yeah. So. You know, you leave Cabo in the morning, you can be having a good time uh, by lunchtime and you come back, uh, uh, you know, late at night and you get here in the morning and you're ready to go. So I understand why they would go there. It seems to be a, a popular place with a lot of athletes. I mean, a lot of, a lot of NFL players go there, too. Yeah. Again, you're, you're right. It's so quick. It's a it's an easy flight for the most part um, from Los Angeles, especially around here, but um, from other places as well. So and it's warm and it's you know, it's it's nice. You're by the beach, uh, relatively inexpensive. There's lots of sort of pluses that, uh, that hit up Cabo. So anyway, yeah, if you're down in Cabo, I'm sure you could run across a few dozen MLS players that are probably down there as well. This message has been brought to you by the Mexican <laughs> Tourist Board. I was going to say, we're so nice. Look at us uh, uh, talking it up. Um, but the LA Galaxy, Kevin, not uh, not content to just sit on their laurels in the World Cup break. Before this U.S. Open Cup actually came out, um, or excuse me, before they actually played on Friday, Thursday, on uh, on the LA Galaxy actually uh, decided to uh, to sign a player. Um, a little bit of a surprise. It was a player that we had heard of and at least uh, talked about very slightly for like two seconds because it didn't seem that it, it was something that popped up on the radar and then quickly disappeared. But uh, the LA Galaxy signed uh, 28-year-old uh, Shannon Williams 
Um, and it, the pronunciation guide says that it's supposed to be Shannon, S-H-A-Y, as in the pronunciation guide. So Shannon Williams. Um, I always thought it was Shannon Williams, but I guess if you say it fast enough, it's Shannon and and Shannon are almost exactly the same. So anyway, Shannon Williams, uh, a guy who has played for a bunch of teams, Kevin. Um, he is a, I think he's entering his ninth year in Major League Soccer, originally brought into the league in the Philadelphia Union uh, at twenty in 2010, uh, played a ton with them all the way through 2016, uh, excuse me, 2015 with the Philadelphia Union and then made his way over to the Houston Dynamo for uh, about a year and a half, it looks like, uh, and then eventually made his way to the Vancouver Whitecaps in 2017 last year where he played 15 games played, 15 games started. Uh, he has overall in Major League Soccer 192 games played, 185 games started, seven goals. He's a right back, so let's not jump up and down about seven goals. Um, and then 16,573 league minutes uh, with uh, with uh, throughout his career. So uh, a guy who's had a, a ton of experience, again, nine, entering his ninth year in the league uh, and at 28 years old, is a right back player. And, of course, the LA Galaxy, in order to make room, for Shannon Williams, uh, they they uh, released uh, Emmer Clementa, which is an interesting sort of take, too. Emmer Clementa, of course, brought in in the offseason from Sacramento Republic. He's a Montenegro national team player. Um, so he was released by the LA Galaxy, and uh, that sort of ends a, a quick, short chapter with, uh, with Emmer Clementa with the LA Galaxy. I, I think a guy who I was high on in terms of them signing him, Kevin, but um, he didn't play a lot. Uh, and when he did play, he didn't look great. Um, and maybe that's unfair. Maybe he didn't get a chance to adjust a whole bunch of things. But uh, when the LA Galaxy lost Rolf Felcher, you thought that they would simply slot in Emre Clementa, Kevin. And, and that's not what happened at all. Um, as a matter of fact, they seem to try to almost avoid uh, playing him uh, for a long period of time until they finally brought him in. Uh, you know, I think his first appearance might have been in the Vancouver game. Um, but anyway, it was just, it, it seems an odd short timing for uh, for Emmer Clemento with the LA Galaxy. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the coaches base their decisions on who to play and where to play them, not on what happens in the games, or maybe part of that, but it's what happens in training. And I guess Clemento just didn't show anything in training. That's the only, uh, you know, uh, assumption that I can come to. Um, but Obviously, this 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 must make them think that perhaps Ralph Felcher could could be out a little bit longer, or maybe they just feel like they need a little bit of uh, depth at that position. Certainly, when you with defenders, I think getting quality you know veteran guys is a, is a big plus. You know, you can find you see a lot of 22 and 23 year old strikers, especially on the international level here at the World Cup. I've noticed that you see a lot of young strikers because it's such an athletic position. You're fast. You can move with the ball. Uh, you have a good shot. There, there is a lot of God given things. I think the, that makes strikers good with defenders. A lot of times it's your intelligence. It's your body positioning and, and how you react to breakaways and things like that, how far you push up things that you learn by making mistakes. And so a lot of, you know, this, he's 28, but as you said, he's got a ton of experience. And so it, it, it with that position, I think it does ha uh, help to have a veteran. The one thing that jumps out uh, about him, though, is the fact that he's been with three teams in the last two years. Um, uh, you have to wonder, is, there, is, is he a good locker room guy? I mean, I, he, I know he had that long run in Philadelphia where, uh, uh, you know, he was very successful. But when a guy starts to move around that much, um, in, in MLS, it could be the salary cap. You know, we know we've seen that happen with Sean Franklin and and Donovan Ricketts and other guys who were great locker room guys and great players, but teams just couldn't afford them after a while. Um, but we also saw with Jack McInerney last year the opposite end, a guy that that had just kept moving on because he 
just didn't fit into the locker room or was a, a bad character guy or whatever. It just didn't work. And, I, you know, I, I, I know that Williams also had a trial with D.C. United and didn't stay. And, and I don't know what that was about. D.C. United could certainly use some defensive help. So uh, in my mind, the jury's out a little bit. Uh, I, I, mean, I think he's a good player, but I, I want to know a little bit more about why he moved around a lot. And with Clementa, kind of sorry to see him go. We really didn't get to know him. But um, I, I was interested when I heard that. My first thought was, Remember the call-up to the Montenegrin national team. I mean, national team call-ups do not come from guys who played in the USL, do not come very often. And that seemed like an amazing opportunity that I wish he could have accepted. Uh, you know, play for your national team is an amazing thing. Who knows what's going to happen next? He may never be at this level again. He, Montenegro may never want him. Um, but the fact is he got called up. The Galaxy, we were told the Galaxy – did not allow him to leave. He didn't go, and now he's now he's not on the Galaxy. And he's not on the Montenegro national team. It seemed like a lose lose for him. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I think the other side to that, and and a rumor that I had heard was perhaps that Emmer Clementa decided to turn down the Montenegrin uh, national team as well because he thought maybe something might be up and wanted to stay and fight for a, a position. And if he was correct, then he he got the hunch right as well. Uh, this was something that, by the way, I did not hear any sort of rumblings about. Uh, usually, I can. Hear here one or two things cut pop up but it, it seems like it happened very quickly uh the shane and williams thing happened for very quickly so it, it's very interesting emmer clemento went on twitter uh and wrote this little note and i want to read it to everybody it says uh, i want to thank everyone for the messages and well wishes la galaxy and i have parted ways it was a short period of, of time but in this time i've grown to love the club and fans thank you to my teammates for everything and i wish you guys the best of luck for the remainder of the season i'm very disappointed especially in that i wasn't given a fair shot to show what i am capable love to you all thank you and good luck uh and he puts hashtag this is la so uh emra seems a little salty about it which i would imagine i'd be a little salty about it too if i thought that i could play better uh again the the minutes that emra clementa showed kevin um i wasn't overly impressed unfortunately i think the highlight in my mind for emra clementa and his time with the la galaxy whether fairly or unfairly is uh is in i think his last mls game that he played uh and he tried to tackle somebody with his hands as they ran by him and he dove and and luckily missed them because otherwise it would have been a red card and a whole bunch of other stuff probably would have happened as well but i mean that sort of seems like the highlight you know somebody pointed out that the galaxy won the games that he was or at least uh worse you know did did very well in the games that uh that he played in if you look at the vancouver game with the zero zero draw um i believe the other one might have been the san jose game um that he played in as well so yeah i mean there's some of that certainly but i'll tell you that you know at least to my eye in the limited amount of time i saw him in preseason limited amount of time i saw him um you know in in mls and league play there or even in u.s open cup um i, I wasn't overly impressed and i was i was high on that signing i thought it was a good signing coming from sacramento republic um, so unfortunately for Emmer Clementa, now Kevin, go back to uh, to uh, Shannon Williams, and there is some some at least a little bit of history, and I'll bring it up just to sort of uh, point out some timing issues, and, and maybe this is why it took so long. Maybe it wasn't why it took so long. Uh, Shannon Williams last year, last summer, uh, voluntarily entered the league's substance abuse and behavioral health program. Um, after a charge of, uh, of assault 
was uh, stayed by the uh, BC prosecutors, the British Columbia prosecutors up in, in Canada. Uh, basically, the, the stay means that uh, they declined to prosecute, or at least they said we're going to wait to file charges on whatever this uh, assault charge was. Um, and the details aren't very clear. There's not a ton of information about exactly what it was. Uh, during that time last summer, he was suspended by the league pending their own internal investigation, um, as well as the active police investigation, and was reinstated after the conclusion of the investigations and his, uh, his exit from that substance abuse and behavioral health uh, program. Um, so the, the really interesting sort of timing thing on this, Kevin, is that the BC prosecutors had up to a year to refile charges if they wanted to refile charges. Uh, that year would, uh, would expire on June 19th or June 20th of this year roughly. So you're talking about, as we're recording on June 18th, you're talking about 19th and 20th. It seems like uh, at least a timing issue and a timing wise, maybe people waited a little bit longer to see if there were going to be any charges. And that's pure speculation on my point, uh, on my part. And and we don't know really, I mean, the league won't discuss what incident led to that, what it was, you know, um, that that whole name of the the group, substance abuse and and what is it called? Substance abuse and behavioral health. Program. I mean that could that could be anything you know you got a jaywalking ticket and then the MLS thinks that maybe you need to go in for some counseling so we don't know what it was I, I will say there's a couple other interesting things that we do know that are that are firm Emmer Clementa's salary was sixty seven thousand five hundred dollars um, last year Williams made one hundred eighty four thousand so th- about three times as much so again the most expensive defense in the league gets a little bit more expensive. Well, you, we, um, don't, we don't actually know. We don't know, know. that's what yeah. he's going to get, right? Yeah. But I, I don't think he's going to get – I don't think they're going to say, would you come play with us for a third of what you got last year? So let's just assume that he's – well, I guess we can't assume anything. No, I'll just it's, say it's last MLS. year he made 100, yeah. $184,000. Clementa's making sixty seven five. The other thing is I wonder what it means for the rest of the defenders. Does that mean Dave Romney uh, – does Williams automatically become the starter and, and Dave Romney goes back to the bench? Does that mean perhaps a shakeup with the center backs – um, that Romney is his, you know, his original position was center back. Does now he maybe get some more playing time there as Daniel Steris, uh, you know, has, is he going to lose some playing time? What about Siani and Chelvik? So, you know, there could be a lot, uh, there could be a lot of shifting. There could be a whole musical chairs thing that, that starts with this. Um, when Williams comes in. Yeah, it's even a question of whether or not Rolf Felcher, whenever he gets healthy, does he return? Remember, there's lots of uh, Rolf Felcher haters out there that aren't exactly uh, thrilled with his play all the time. And I think once he went down, people realized that he was probably more important to the Galaxy than uh, than they gave him credit now, for. When is he supposed to be back? It's, it's July. July, right? Yeah. yeah. So that, that's another thing with the Williams thing. They waited a long time for this to happen. And, and your theory may be right that perhaps they were waiting to see what the legal thing was you don't want to sign a guy and, and then be on the hook for his contract when he's not going to be able to play. So perhaps that was uh, the reason. But they waited a long time. I mean, if, if they decided they need somebody at right back because Ralph Felcher's hurt, um, I don't think you wait until he's halfway through his rehab to go out and get somebody. I think you you make that move early. And then, uh, but what they decided to do instead was to, to you know, let Romney play and maybe let Clementa play. And, and they thought they had some backup. The fact that they make this move now says one of two things to me, that they need to make a move now that the games that, that Ralph Felcher is still going to miss, that they can't afford to have, uh, you know, somebody else at right back. Or maybe, again, maybe Williams doesn't play, but I don't think they make this move unless they intend him to play. So they're they're saying a, a number of things, or one of a number of things. They're saying that the, the backup that they had didn't work out um, and they need help right now. Or... Perhaps they're saying that Ralph Felcher, uh, his rehab is going to take a little bit longer. And 
that would not be the first time this happened with the Galaxy. I remember last year, Jermaine Jones, when he got hurt, he took twice as long to come back as what the Galaxy said he would. Uh, they were talking about Sebastian Legette coming back in September. He didn't play at all last season uh, after he got hurt. They were talking about Bajo Husidic coming back in late July or early August. I don't think he played his first game back until October. So the Galaxy did not have a very good track record of getting rehabs right. Perhaps in this case, they've decided that Ralph Felcher is going to need quite a bit more time, and they need to fill somebody in now. But, again, I, I'm just kind of baffled if if, if uh, they knew they needed somebody at right back. Why did they wait this long to sign a guy? Yeah, it seems, uh, you know, uh, Shannon Williams is not a guy who was uh, who was under contract there, Kevin, so they could have added him to the roster at any point. Um, he hasn't played since uh, playing last year with uh, with the Vancouver Whitecaps, um, and so that was uh, I think last September 27th he went a full 90 minutes for Whitecaps in a three nothing loss. Um, so that was the last time that he has played any MLS minutes. So you're talking about a guy now who has been unattached uh, for a season, and now he comes to the LA Galaxy. Uh, I think it's interesting. I, again, the timing of it is super interesting if you really want to break down all that all that stuff, Kevin. Um, and it's something that I think the Galaxy uh, will sort of uh, will see. The fact that uh, he didn't play in the U.S. Open Cup tells me that they're not ready yet to bring him into the lineup. The fact that he could be a replacement for Rolf Felcher overall, um, I think there's lots of possibilities here. I think he could move, uh, he could bump Dave Romney out of that backup role, or who knows, maybe Felcher's the backup now. I mean, it, it's literally that much of a position that the Galaxy have had problems with. I will say this, though, it now feels like the LA Galaxy have three very real options to play there, Kevin, and that's more than they've had in quite a while uh, in terms of a right back. In fact, they played most of last year without a right back. Um, and while people will certainly say that position is cursed, um, I will say that uh, maybe the Galaxy now have enough numbers back there that uh, they're starting to sort of figure things out. Um, Dave Romney is perfectly capable of playing that position, and I think you've seen that this year, and he's been a capable backup to, uh, to Rolf Felcher. Um, Emmer Clemente was not, unfortunately. Um, and now you get uh, Shannon Williams, and my guess is you're going to see uh, Williams play here very quickly. Um, I would say against San Jose is probably the target date for that. Um, and whether or not that's a substitute role, which is always difficult for a defender, or uh, whether or not it's a, a starting role. But I think that Siggy Schmidt brought him on for a reason. They put him on this team for a reason. They went through the drastic cut of, uh, of having to open up a roster spot uh, for uh, for uh, Williams by, by releasing Emre Clementa. Um, so, and by the way, there's no international slot that gets opened up by Emre Clementa, who was, a, I believe, a dual national citizen uh, here in the United States um, and with uh, Montenegro. So there was nothing that got opened up magically there, Kevin. Um, but it, it was it was an interesting turn in an off week, in a week where you didn't expect much to happen. During a World Cup break, the LA Galaxy went out and signed 28-year-old, 5'11", 170-pound uh, Shannon Williams uh, now as a right back. So that's what we have. Well, and the other thing is, if you went to go and find out all your 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 Williams news and find out all about him and his background and, and look pictures of him and everything. You should not go to the galaxy website because he's not a uh, part of that yet. He's not listed on the roster. He's not listed anywhere. Uh, it's the off week for everybody, Kevin. Just remember that off week for everybody. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. If you want to do that, you of course can go over to, uh, to corner the galaxy where I have a picture of him. Although everybody was yelling at me and said, Hey, you put a picture up with Giossi's artist, you moron. That's basically what y'all said, and, and y'all need to look a little bit harder because the guy who's marking Jossie's artist in that picture would, of course, be Shannon Williams. So, just wanted to point that out. I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. I just, just want to make sure everybody else is as well. Speaking of Jossie's artist, that's the one thing that may be my only prediction regarding soccer that I've ever gotten right. You know, we, 
go back to the Dom Dwyer thing. She'll haunt me till my death. And then Germany's going to win the World Cup. And and uh, but I did say that Giassi's artist is going to have a great season. And knock on wood, halfway through, he's having a great season. And uh, soon to be coming to StubHub Center, as a matter of fact, uh, the LA Galaxy play on June 30th against the San Jose Earthquakes. They'll play. Uh, they'll that will they'll be up at Stanford Stadium on Una Moss. Uh, then on July 4th, uh, the LA Galaxy, of course, will continue their tradition of having a home game on July 4th ever since the league started on uh, Wednesday, July 4th, 7.30 p.m. against D.C. United. And then they will host the Columbus Crew, Giossi's Artist, Saturday, July 7th. So we talked about a string of back-to-back games, Kevin, that are going to hit rapid fire before this World Cup break. Well, they're coming after the World Cup break as well. June 30th, July 4th, and July 7th. Two of those are home games for the Galaxy. So we'll see how they do there. And then it's on to the second half of the season, Kevin and a push for the playoffs. Uh, the LA Galaxy, uh, actually, in, in terms of uh, where they stand and, and how they do, they're, they're not far out of a playoff spot. Um, they're a team that looks like they have enough talent to certainly make the playoffs right now. Um, and so, you know, sitting in the eighth spot, just two points out, only nine points back of, you know, league leaders sporting Kansas City, having played a bunch of these top teams early in the season, the Galaxy will push for the second half of the playoffs here pretty rapidly. So, and I hope I really hope. Uh, I fingers crossed. I hope Giassi gets a really, really warm welcome. He deserves it. Um, things didn't work out for him. It wasn't his fault. He never said a bad thing about the Galaxy. He's a Galaxy guy through and through. He grew up with a David Beckham poster on his wall. Yep. Um, you know, he was a fan before he was a player. Um, it, you know, a really good, it, you know, uh, role model. You know, finishing school even after he became a professional athlete. So uh, I, I'm sure the fans will recognize him, and he deserves it. And um, I'm looking forward to his. Com- him coming back. I'll be also be watching that on Sputnik TV because I'll still be in Moscow when that happens. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Uh, As for this podcast, uh, let's see, we're going to try to connect with Kevin again here later on in the uh, in the tournament. But uh, Corner of the Galaxy will be taking its World Cup break uh, coming up on Thursday, the 21st, when we'd normally have a live show. There is no live show. So don't be showing up there. There is no show. Uh, We will be taking that off. And then next Monday, the 25th, of, uh, of June as well. That will be another day off for us as well. We will return Corner of the Galaxy for a live show on Thursday, uh, June 28th, ahead of the LA Galaxy's uh, June 30th game against uh, the San Jose Earthquake. So we'll be getting you ready for that on Thursday, the 28th. But again, no shows on Thursday. This next Thursday coming up on the 21st, no show on the 25th. Uh, and then we will resume our regularly scheduled programming there on Thursday, the 28th. Maybe, hopefully, hooking up with Kevin uh, here on July 2nd or possibly July 9th. Um, so we'll certainly try to keep him uh, in contact here. But uh, his 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 travel schedule, your travel schedule gets a little crazier here, Kevin, as, uh, yeah, as things does, start to move around. Yeah, after the group stage. But you know what I found in the uh, gift shop of the hotel here? They have nesting dolls, surprisingly enough. There are nesting dolls everywhere. I don't think the Russians ever buy those things. There's, those are for us, the tourists. But there is a panda nesting doll. And so you've bought it already, right? I haven't bought it yet. Okay. I think I'm going to go down and take a picture of it and post it on Twitter, but I haven't bought it yet. My okay. wife really wants me to buy it. Yeah, I, I would second that. She as said well. if I find a duck one, I got to get got to get it for this, you. This is this is true. This is both true. I will I will pay you I will pay you in rubles if if you do that. Uh, absolutely. All right. So that is our show for today. The LA Galaxy off until June 30th. Our podcast off until June 28th. We'll be back on Thursday for that live show. So, Mr. Kevin Baxter, enjoy the uh, World Cup tournament until we talk to you again. And, uh, of course, safe travels whenever you come back. All right? All right. Thank you. All right. There goes Mr. Don't sh- comrade. Yeah, I was going to say. Say it again. 
Dorschvidania. There you go. All right. I, I cut him off because I'm so quick with the trigger. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, at KBaxter11, you can find all of your World Cup updates from him right there covering that Mexico-Germany game, uh, a very exciting game there. And, of course, he'll be covering the rest of the tournament as well. Head on over to LATimes.com for all those written articles, all the stuff that you want to know about the World Cup. Follow Mr. Kevin Baxter there. If you're looking for us on Twitter, of course, myself, at Jay Gessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com as well. Uh, we'll have articles if anything breaks while, of course, we are on our little World Cup break. We'll have it there. Uh, otherwise, we will catch you, catch you back up by there on June 28th whenever I get back in town as well. A little business, a little personal travel coming up for me. So uh, hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Kessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, Goodbye, everybody.